Romans chapter 15. If you'd grab your copy of Scripture, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can find that on page 1308 in the Pew Bible in front of you or underneath you or whatever. Page 1308, you'll find Romans 15. The book of Romans, we have looked at that before I left for India on Sunday nights. We have been uh, looking through, uh, focusing our attention on three chapters in the book of Romans and studying together, and it's been very encouraging. And I've uh, one of the things that the Lord has led me to do in, uh, in days preparing for that is I would read through the book of Romans. And when I came across this passage in Romans 15, God began to work in my heart for this evening that we would share together, Robbie, and I pray that it will mean to you what it has meant to me, and I believe there is a word from God here for all of us, and I pray that God will show that to us, and He will make Himself known here tonight through His Word. So let's just pray, and then we'll be started. Father, we, we just pause before Your Word, and God, we acknowledge that it is Your Holy Word. It is free of error, and Lord, it is clear, and it is meant for us, Your people. And so, Lord, we receive it now. God, this is you speaking to us. Lord, give us ears to hear and give us hearts willing to receive what you'll have to show us tonight, Lord. We give you the glory in advance in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I'm, I'm a very simple kind of a guy. I need to be clear. And so if I endeavor to do something, one of the things that's important to me is I need to know what the win is. I need to know what the target is. I need to know what I'm shooting at. I can't operate when I don't know what it is I'm supposed to be doing or what's expected of me. And so as I began to think about what we would talk about tonight, I just wanted to, to boil this down. Robbie, you're a, you're a pretty simple guy. You're the kind of person that just sort of, you know, goes with the flow. You lived a pretty simple life that's about to get a whole lot more complicated. Amen. But I think God is a is a very straightforward God. And if we look into his word and we ask ourselves, what is the goal? What is the point of all this? What is the reason that we're here? At the end of the day, every single day, when we get to the end of our day and we lay our head down to go to sleep at night, the number one question we need to ask ourselves, the one thing that we need to know that we have lived each day for is simply and singularly the glory of God. The goal in all things is always glory. That's God's intention for you and me. That's His purpose for us. The Bible says in Isaiah 43, God says, Everyone who is called by my name, who I have created for my glory. That's a very simple, straightforward statement from God to you and me. But the question is, how does that happen? How do we do that? How is that? How does that occur in our life? How do we know when what we are doing is actually glorifying God? Because it's it, it can be complicated sometimes in life. Sometimes we can get tangled up and want to glorify ourselves. Sometimes we want to glorify other things and not the Lord Jesus. And so we need to be reminded that glorifying God is not dependent on any human striving. It's not dependent on any effort. It has nothing to do with what you or I may or may not do. The Bible says in Psalm 46, begins with a very familiar statement, be still and know that I am God. But notice what God goes on to say, that we're to be still and we're to know that He is God 
For he says, I will be exalted among the nations. It's not a conditional phrase. It's not something that may happen or could potentially happen. Or if we do the right thing, it will happen. It will happen regardless of what you and I do. God says, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. That this is God's plan. This is God's purpose. And this is his priority is his glory. And so we need to begin to focus tonight as we think about being set apart for the gospel mission, as we begin to think about who we are as a church body, as you begin to look inwardly at yourself and ask questions about like who you are and where you are in relation to your Lord and Savior. And how are you doing in this endeavor called the Christian life. You see, even God's purpose in salvation, oftentimes we want to turn that in towards us and we certainly want to be grateful and we certainly want to be thankful and we certainly want to be glad that God is a God of salvation and that we are people who have received that salvation. But His purpose in salvation, the Bible says, is not in man, but in His glory. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1, in Him also we have obtained an inheritance, Paul says, being predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will. Listen, that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of His glory. That when you, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ tonight, that in the instant that God redeemed you and saved you and forgave the wicked, awful, horrific sin of your past life, in that moment, that was more about God's glory than it would ever be about you. It's about the greatness and the unbelievable nature of a God who would love undeserving people and get glory by saving them and forgiving them and redeeming them and then sanctifying them to live in a wicked, fallen world that will often persecute and harass and mock and belittle them and yet glorify Himself in them. What an amazing, amazing truth. So tonight... I want us to just begin by sort of getting our head around this, this, this concept that I pray that we will never cease to be astonished. That there will never come a time when we are not utterly astonished at the statement that God has chosen to accomplish His purpose on earth through people. That is an amazing concept. It's an amazing truth. It's an unbelievable thought. That somewhere God determined that this great plan to bring glory unto Himself, to exalt Himself, to to show Himself for the good, gracious, mighty, unbelievable, powerful God that He is, that He would He would use people to accomplish the ministry to other people. I mean, if you think about all the ways God could have done this. And all the, 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 the simpler ways, you know, that there are so many ways that God could have chosen to carry out His plan of redemption among mankind where we wouldn't have to wonder how great God is. We wouldn't have to stray away from the Lord, David, and then come back to see the greatness of God. You see, because if the sky would crack open every day at 12 noon and a voice would shout out from heaven, or the clouds would begin to spell out, or maybe the stars every night would, would arrange in a different message, and it would just spell out a different message every night, then we wouldn't have to wonder. But that's not how God chose to do it. Although in a snap, in an instant, He could have done so. 
But he decided that rather than do that, he was going to use people like you and like me to accomplish his purpose on earth. And so when we look at in the book of Romans and, and, and we see Paul coming to, to the close of this magnificent theological treatise, these words are just truly unbelievable. Let's begin reading Romans 15 and verse 14. The Apostle Paul says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able also to admonish one another. Nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you on some points as reminding you because of the grace given to me by God that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 17, Therefore, I have reason to glory in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God, for I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word or deed to make the Gentiles obedient. Now, Brother Robbie, I believe that these passages of Scripture here give us a great synopsis of what the gospel ministry is all about. But at the same time, I believe for all of us in the room here tonight that we can see that God takes His glory very seriously and there are certain things that God is glorified in and through and there are other things that God is not glorified in and through. And so let's look at five things that bring glory and honor to God that we can see in this text. First of all, I want you to see that God is glorified in men who are unafraid to speak the truth. Now, this could be women, this could be children. But for the context of tonight, men who are unafraid to speak the truth. Verse 14, Paul says, Now I myself am confident concerning you, my brethren, that you also are full of goodness. Now, notice notice who Paul is speaking here to. He's speaking to his brethren and he's saying, You're full of goodness. You're filled with all knowledge. You're able to encourage and admonish one another. These aren't, these aren't rebellious, backslidden Horrible people. These are people filled with all goodness. But nevertheless, Paul says, in spite of all of the goodness that you seem to to show, in spite of all the encouragement that you show to one another, Paul says that you're a great church. You're solid people. You're wonderful. But in spite of all that, nevertheless, brethren, I have written more boldly to you. That you see, God is glorified when we speak the truth, even in the context of it's not popular. I don't want to hear that. I don't think I need that. You see, many times what we want to do is we want a pat on the back. And sometimes we need a pat on the back. But sometimes we need a kick in the pants. And sometimes we think we're doing good, but God's saying no. It's not that you're not doing good. It's that I want you to do better. It's that I want you to go further. It's that I want you to not stop. I want you to keep going and keep growing. And so God raises up people and glorifies Himself through them when they're unafraid to speak the truth. The Bible uses this curious word in the Greek to translate the word preach. And the word preach is a word that means to announce news in a marketplace, like to be a public herald. Now, here's what's interesting about that, because if you announce news in the marketplace, here's one thing that I know about that. First of all, the people have not come to the market to hear your news. 
They've come to the market for other reasons. They've come to the market to buy their goods. They've come to the market to do their shopping. But yet the preacher is to speak the truth irregardless of whether the people have come specifically to hear that message. Oftentimes, people don't want to hear the message of the truth. But that doesn't change the obligation for the believer to be truthful even when people are doing okay. Because God's plan and purpose is not for you and me to do okay. God is not magnified and glorified when we do okay. God is magnified and glorified when we do great in Him. When we live and move and breathe and find our being in Him. God is magnified and glorified. And so we need to be people who speak the truth. That brings glory unto God. And so the key to this in the gospel ministry, Brother Robbie, is to always remember, Paul says, because of the grace given to me by God at the end of verse 15. Always remember to depend upon grace, not giftedness. It's grace, not giftedness. It's grace, it's grace, it's grace. It's the grace of God that enables us to speak the truth. Because here's the thing, the only reason why I know the truth and the only reason why you know the truth is the grace of God. And so the the heinous sin is receiving the truth and then becoming puffed up in it as if it were had something to do with you and then speaking the truth out of some giftedness or out of some condemnation or pridefulness and not the grace of God. It's the dependence upon grace and not gifts. Secondly, God is glorified in men who abandon human reason. Verse 16, Paul says that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, which if you can imagine in this time, in the context that this is written, that is an astonishing statement that he would be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God. You and I must in our endeavor to glorify God, we must be about supernatural understanding and abandon human reason. You know, human reason says this. Human reason says, you know, brother, 28 years is a long time to deliver packages. And I can remember countless days, swollen knees, sore back, hot, man, hot. How'd you like to deliver packages in August? It's hot. Sweat pouring down him. He stinks so bad. He'd come in my office. Oh, Lord. (laughs) 28 years. Now, you know what human logic says? Man, retire. Relax. Play golf. I mean, you know, take it easy. You've earned it. You deserve it. You're too old to go in the ministry. Nobody told you that? It's a young man's game. You don't have any education. You don't know what you're doing. That's what human reason says. But you see, God is mightily glorified when we throw that out the window. And we begin to think, what can God do if I step out in faith and begin to move into a foreign land? Just completely trusting God. To do something miraculous. 
But you see, human reason is definitely standing in complete and utter opposition to the gospel, is it not? The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 1, Paul says the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. I mean, it's just utter foolishness. It's just the concept that this, that this carpenter, that this, this, this Jesus Christ of Nazareth could, could somehow live a perfect life, that God would somehow, this God who's so magnificent and so unbelievable, who reigns over all things, that this God would send His Son to this little bitty ball of dirt floating around in space, and that He would just live a common life, born in a manger. I mean, it's just ridiculous. The whole concept of it is utterly crazy. And many people are just simply, they're too smart for the gospel. It's just, it just doesn't make sense to them. They got too many PhDs. They've read too many books. They've got too much scientific data and they just can't seem to get their head around this foolish message. And the only way you and I are going to glorify God is we're going to have to understand right up front, we've got to abandon human reason because you're not going to humanly reason this out. It's a mystery. It's unbelievable. God's got to open our eyes, which brings us back to the grace of God that we know the truth. Paul says again in Ephesians 6, 19, he says that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. It's just an unbelievable mystery. So we need to we glorify God when we abandon human reason. Thirdly, God is glorified in men who live dependent Dependency is always connected to glorification. Verse 16, Paul says this, that I might be a minister of Jesus Christ to the Gentiles, ministering the gospel of God, that the offering of the Gentiles might be acceptable, he says, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. The agent of holiness in people, in, in, in people is the Holy Spirit of God. That the Holy Spirit is the only agent of sanctification in the human life. That it is not, it is not something that we do. It is not something that we can make happen. It is not something that we can, we're, we don't, that's why we don't glorify God when we don't abandon human reason is because we've got to be dependent and understand that only God, only God can bring holiness into the human life. The Holy Spirit only operates in the context of the gospel. You know why? Because Jesus Christ is the Word, is the Gospel. And He is the only way, the only truth, the only life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. It's the context of the Gospel and it's the agency of the Holy Spirit. And you see, that's really the, the paradox of this whole thing, isn't it? Because if you really stop and think about it, we've got ourselves in a real mess, you know that? We've really got ourselves in a mess. We have been called out and we've got all the critics to listen to everything that we say and watch everything that we do and we're supposed to accomplish things that we can't do. That would be like you showing up for work, having the whole truck loaded and your boss telling you, now here's what you got to do. you got to deliver all these packages to the right house. There's only one problem. I don't know the addresses. That's what being a pastor's like. Because you're called to do something that you can't do. You've got to be utterly and completely dependent. You can't do it. You've got to abandon human reason. There's no way. You can't wake up in the morning and think, well, today I'm going to lead people to holiness. Because you can't on your best day. And Paul says that to be acceptable, that they might be acceptable, is to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. You know, we can go to school 
And we can read books, and Lord knows I'm a fan of reading books. I love books. But you know what? All those books can't make anybody any holier. They can't do it. You know, all that study, and it can't make anybody any holier. Only the Spirit of God can accomplish God's ministry in people. And at the end of the day, the only person that's doing any sanctifying in you, me, or anybody else is the Holy Spirit. So we've got to live dependent lives and realize this isn't something we can accomplish. Number four, God's glorified in men who glory in Christ. Now, this word glory oftentimes is translated boasting. And I love this concept in verse 17, which is really the pinnacle of this whole entire passage, that everything prior to verse 17 is leading to it, and everything after verse 17 is looking back to it. The apex of this passage is verse 17, where Paul says, Therefore, I have reason to glory, I have reason to boast in Christ Jesus in the things which pertain to God. Paul understands that God's priority is not to glory in Him. It's not to glory in man. It's not to glory in what He can accomplish, what you can accomplish, what I can accomplish, but to glory, to boast only in God. Isaiah 40, verse 17, the Bible says, All nations before Him are nothing. This is a hard, this is a hard text. That all nations, this, this will humble you. Well, we think we're something. Then the Bible comes along and says, You're nothing. And they are counted to Him as less than nothing and worthless. You see, when you begin to see what the Bible has to say about you and me and everything else compared to His glory, it's nothing. It's nothing. And you know what? If we want to, if we want to be glorifying people, if we want to be people who hit the mark in our Christian life, we need to understand that every single day that God gives us to live on this earth, it's about Glory. The goal is always consistently never-ending glory. That's God's goal. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 17, But he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. You know, we're not, we're not here to boast in other things. We're here to boast in the Lord. Galatians 6, 14, Paul says, But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing worth boasting in. In Romans 16, Paul ends the book of Romans with the statement, To God alone wise be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. What a great statement that is. God is glorified in people, in husbands and wives, in children, in churches, in the lives of people who boast in Him. You know what I like about this? I like the fact that you and I know some things about boasting. And here's what we know, because we all do it, and we're all familiar with it. We don't admit it, and we don't talk about it, but we're all good at it. And here's what we know. We know that we never boast in something we're not emotionally connected to, do we? You see, when we boast in something, when you boast in your children or you boast in your accomplishments or you boast in whatever it is, it means something to you. It's important to you. You've, you've emotionally in your heart connected with what it is you're boasting in. And God says, that's what you need to do about me. You need to connect. You, the, the gospel is not this ethereal truth that just sort of washes over our lives like some scientific formula that just says, well, now... You are a Christian. No. 
The gospel is something that we connect to emotionally. We, we get excited about it. The Bible says that we're to boast in it. We're to be thrilled in it. We're to find our joy in it. That we're, we're to just exist in the grace that God revealed Himself to us. And you know what? I want you to remember something. That there's some of you in this room and you are phenomenal, phenomenal evangelists. And you love to tell people the good news about Jesus Christ. And I'm so thrilled that you do that. But I want you to remember something. That every time you share the gospel, and oftentimes it's rejected. And oftentimes it's not embraced. And for every hundred or two hundred times you share the gospel, there's maybe one person who listens. And then out of those people, there's only so many who will receive the gospel. But you know... Don't get overwhelmed completely in the heartache of the rejection. Because in the midst of the rejection, in the midst of the opportunity that God's given me to share the gospel, and as much as it pains me and grieves me to know that this person, whether I know them or not, there's still someone created in the image of God. There's still someone that someone loves. There's someone that God could use. And they're doomed to an eternal hell apart from Him. As much as that grieves me, I always try to walk away in gratitude and humility in the reminder that that once was me. But it's not anymore. Because of the grace of God, God illuminated my mind. He allowed me to know Him and see Him and receive Him and grow in Him. And that is an amazing gift from Him. And I want to glory in Him. I want to boast in Him. I want to shout that my God is the only God. And listen, you walk the dirty, dusty, horrible, poverty-stricken streets of Imphal, India. And let me tell you something. You, you got a lot to boast about. Because you, you look around and I just can, every night I would just collapse in my bed and, and just weep over all that I'd seen and just weep over, God, you're so good. I mean, I've seen such horror today. It's been so terrible today. Everywhere I've looked is nothing but calamity and catastrophe, but you saved me. You saved me. Thank you, Lord. I want to boast in Him. Man, I'd go right into that Hindu temple. And they're down there worshiping monkeys and kissing the ground and dancing around, acting a fool. I'm like, hold on a minute. I know the God of the universe. I know the God that made that monkey. And I know the God that made you. I know Him. And I've come halfway around the world to tell you that. He's my Heavenly Father. I'm boasting in Him. I'm connected to Him emotionally. This isn't a scientific formula. This is an unbelievable Savior. A personal Savior. And lastly, and more personally, God is glorified in men and their families who devote themselves to His people. Verse 18, Paul says, For I will not dare to speak of any of those things which Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed to make the Gentiles obedient. I find it interesting that Paul here closes our attention around this word obedient. That sort of the, the, the culmination at the end of the day, at the end of the line, really, if you want to glorify God, 
you understand that God is greatly glorified and magnified in our obedience. So for a moment, Mary Jo, I got to know you, really know you, not by attending church with you, but by doing ministry alongside you. I was doing ministry in the public schools where you happened to be a nurse. And so we began to do ministry together at your school. And I just want you to know that you were a terrible school nurse. You were terrible by the world's standards. Because as I thought about it, I thought, I don't know if you know this or not, but school employees are not really supposed to share the gospel while they're at work. That's really not in the manual. You know, it's, it's not something that you're supposed to do. In fact, I'm... I'm relatively certain that a a school nurse might even lose her job for sharing the gospel on a school campus. The job of a school nurse, I think, according to the school system, would read something like this, uh, to address the physical needs of the students. But that really never was your priority, was it? No. You prioritized the spiritual needs of every child that walked into your office. You prioritize the spiritual needs of your co-workers. And time and time again, as I began to reflect on all the things you got me into, we got involved with DHS. We found uh, places to live for homeless families. We brought co-workers to Christian rehab facilities. We got people into counseling. Sometimes you got people into counseling with me. Thank you. Tied up all my time. Uh, we, <laughs> and this could have been a very extensive list. I, I edited this down. I want you to know. And I watched day in and day out. You weep over the suffering, the spiritual suffering of the children you ministered to and the people that you worked alongside with. And I watched God use you in a mighty way because you were obedient to do what really was illogical. What really put you in jeopardy. What really was not at all what your job description was, but you knew that your job description had nothing to do with your calling. And to glorify God, we must be obedient to what God has called us to do. And today, there are people who are saved because... You allowed God to use you and your testimony and your boldness and your devotion to the Lord Jesus regardless of the dangers that that presented. Obedience brings glory to God. Kayla. You've heard the statement that actions speak louder than words. In verse 18, let me remind you that Paul says, For I dare not speak of any any of those things that Christ has not accomplished through me in word and deed. And as I began to think about this, I thought, you know, I watched you grow up. I was there. Not just because you were part of my church, but because you grew up with my Kayla. And there went the two Kaylas. And we laugh at the stories of Kayla and Kayla driving the minivan across the field going to Grandma's house in the fourth grade. 
Mary Jo. We need to talk about that, by the way. Two fourth graders driving the van. And oh, they'd have fun. And around they'd go. Until, and then one day Kayla said, Dad, I know how to drive. I said, say what? I said, hold up. Yeah. Mary, Miss Mary Jo lets us drive. I'm like, you're in the third grade. Amen. And I can still hear the ring of your laughter coming from my daughter's room. As you and the other girls from church would play dress up, you'd be up there choreographing some new dance routine to the music just as loud as it could possibly go. And you were just enjoying the blessing of being able to grow up in a Christian community surrounded by friendship and love. But as a ninth grader, all that came to a screeching halt one day. And I distinctly remember praying with your parents as they prepared to tell you what was about to take place. And I can remember the trepidation in my own heart of God, you're going to have to do something because she's going to flip out. You're about to jerk everything that she knows right out from under her. Honey, we're moving to Kentucky. What? And Paul says it's in word and deed. You see, sometimes you can't just talk the talk. You have to walk the walk. Ephesians 6, 1 simply says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Kayla, thank you. Thank you for obeying your parents. Because it is right. And I know it wasn't easy. But it is right. And I know that you have discovered and you will continue to discover in your life the truth of Psalm 9 where the Bible says, The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name, Lord, they put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. And He has been with you. And He has watched over you. And He has guided you. And He has blessed you because you were obedient. And I know it didn't make any sense. And I know it was hard to comprehend. But I want you to know something. Six months ago, I sat down with my Kayla. And I looked her in the eye and I said, Honey, I need to talk to you. She said, What is it, Dad? And I said, God's calling me to pastor. And I think we're going to have to move. And I know you're about to start your senior year. And I know that this is everything that you know. And I know that the thought of not being part of Michael Memorial is, is something you can't even comprehend. But, but honey, this is where God's leading us. And she looked at me and said, Dad, if that's where God's leading us, we'll go. And I wonder if in that moment she didn't think about you. And think, well, Kayla did it, so I can do it. So thank you. Clayton, not off the hook. You look good, you're big, you're scary, but I got the microphone. 
Son, God sent you an angel in Rebecca. What a blessing. And as I think about how me and your dad rejoiced in the gift that she's been to you, I can't help but think you are just like your father. And no matter how hard you try to deny it, no matter how much you want to run away from it, and here's the thing, he may live in Kentucky, but brother, you two are a spitting image of each other. You're just like him. You act like him. You think like him. You're just like him. You're big and scary, but you're really just a teddy bear. Wouldn't hurt a fly. Just like your daddy. But here's what I know about Robbie and I know about you. Your dad is harder on himself than anybody else. And you're just like him. And you put a lot on yourself. And you're your own worst critic. And you demand a lot from yourself. And you may not say it and you keep it inside, but it's there. And I know because I know your dad really well. And I see it in you. You're the same way. But you, Clayton Fairley, you are the very reason, the vessel that God used to bring your dad to this church. And I can remember like it was yesterday. Because you were never little. But a big old young teenager stumbling over them big feet you couldn't even get used to them. They were so big so fast. But boy, that heart was just broken. It was broken. And we'd pray. And you'd say, Brother Tony, pray for my family. Pray for my dad. Pray for my mom. I remember. I remember times aren't easy. She's sick. Medical bills are mounting up. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know where I'm going to live. I don't know where I'm going to go. But pray for him. And so we'd pray not knowing what God would do. And lo and behold, one day, there we are over in the East Sanctuary. Somebody comes up and taps me on the shoulder and says, you're not going to believe this. I said, what? Clayton's parents are here. I said, what? Yeah. And I turned around and there was Robbie. First time I ever laid eyes on him. I can show you right where he was sitting. There he was. And it was you. So I tell you all this to say that Tomorrow, the next day, next week, next month. As you begin to think about all the things that this day represents in your life. As you begin to look towards what God has for you. As you begin to to think about, you know, what kind of dad am I going to be? God's used you already. And He's going to continue to use you. He's going to continue to use you. Just let Him. Let Him. Mr. Charles, Miss Helen, it's real simple for you.
thank you. Thank you. That even when you didn't know or even understand, because I'm sure you didn't, because none of us would, what was going to happen. When that little boy was running around in the yard, when you were having to whip him time and time and time again, never knowing what God would do, never knowing what, what the day would bring, thank you, thank you for just standing there and loving a boy that God had His hand on. God had a plan. And my scripture for you tonight comes also from the book of Romans, chapter 10, where Paul says, Well, how then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? How? And, and how shall they believe in Him in whom they've not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? But it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. The Bible says that, that the triumph of the mom, the triumph of the dad, the hope and the prayer of every parent is to have a child with beautiful feet. So, Robbie, may your feet be beautiful as you carry the message, as you herald the truth that oftentimes people won't want to hear. Oftentimes you'll find yourself in circumstances and situations where it's not the truth they've come for. It's all these other things. But all that matters is does God see your feet as beautiful? Because the goal is always glory. Always. So, Robbie, I ask you tonight the following questions. Before this body, before these witnesses, before these members of this congregation and those who have come in support of you, do you believe the Scriptures of the Old and New Testaments as originally written to be inerrant and perfect, holy, and of God, the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truth of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church no matter what persecution or opposition may arise? Do you vow to be consistent in your study of the Word of God, showing yourself approved to be a workman unto God? Do you vow to live up to the qualifications of a pastor found in 1 Timothy 3, 1 through 7 and Titus chapter 1? Do you engage to be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as a Christian and as a minister of the gospel, whether personal or relational, whether private or public, and to endeavor by the grace of God to, or, to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary character before the flock over which God shall make you an overseer? Do you vow not to neglect your family and to love your wife as Christ has loved the church? Well, as the pastor of Michael Memorial Baptist Church, we affirm you tonight 
as set apart for the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We commend what God has done in you and we pray that you will hit the mark of God's glory in whatever place he may lead you to go for all other things are waste. Amen.